Welcome to X-Rated Movies. Oh! I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. And the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. Uh, If you're just tuning in, please give us money. Our Patreon is... Patreon.com slash X-Rated Movies. I checked. It is. Okay, good, good, Mm -hmm. good, good. Uh, We haven't set up tiers yet because they don't make that super obvious, but I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Okay. Um, And if you're not just tuning in and you listened to last week's episode, you might have been fooled by our awesome improv (laughs) about uh, how we just watched the Oscars. But guess what, guys? We're pulling back the veil. (laughs) We hadn't watched the Oscars. We recorded it before. I hope you put the gasp drop in. (laughs) But... They were actually last night, and they were so tasty that we have to talk about them. As I was saying to Ryan earlier, this feels like the year that the movie geeks won. Mm. It felt different. Yeah. I mean, the the big prize, of course, Parasite wins Best Picture. (sighs) Bong Joon-ho, Best Director. And I, I just feel for movie geeks out there, we're all sort of in agreement across movie preferences will say yeah there's just sort of a a level of agreement that parasite was the best picture last year yeah i can't remember who i saw but i saw a tweet that was like um you know how usually there's like a movie that everyone's like this one doesn't deserve to be here blah 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 like there's better movies like no one ever said that about parasite everyone was all like no this is a great movie except for all the racist people that think it's (laughs) chinese and can't read subtitles for Uh, some reason what's that about but it's just so refreshing to see a movie that feels new mm-hmm. is from a director who is like cutting edge in his ways, and that it's his brainchild as well. Like we, you know, we screenplay the auteurism about it. Like not only is he a good director, but like he helped screenwrite it. Yeah, and this is the first time that a foreign language film has won Best Picture. I just fainted. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, he he must have gone home happy that night because best picture, best foreign or best international movie, I think right. is what they're calling it these days. Right. Uh, and screenplay, like that. Those are three. Those are three awards that he's walking away with. I know. Did you see the like uh, picture of him making his Oscars kiss? <laughs> like like they were Barbie dolls, <laughs> like the Ken dolls. <laughs> yeah, it's really cute. And you can tell that like he he sees the absurdity of this too because it's like. The Academy Awards are such an American thing, so it's like it's got to be fun for him to be like, "Look at me! I'm better than me. all you American <laughs> filmmakers." Yeah, it's just I don't know. It, it feels so good, mm-hmm. especially because I've been following him. I've been such a fan of Bong Joon Ho for at least like ten years now, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just nice to see him get the recognition I think he deserves. And I'm excited that other people now get to go back and see all the things that I've seen and have been shouting about. It also, there's a little pleasure at the the misfortune of uh, Harvey Weinstein mm. because he held back Snowpiercer from being released for so long because, like, for some reason, he doesn't think that, like, Asian directors can make movies that American audiences will like. And this just, like, it flies in the face of, like, everything that Harvey Weinstein stands for. Mm-hmm. Like, here's this movie that is not at all Oscar fodder, just plowing <laughs> through everything and yeah. taking home the gold. Love it. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, Snowpiercer was held up for, like, two or three years because Bong Joon-ho didn't want to, like, edit it down or water it down the way that Harvey Weinstein was, like, asking it to be. So it just sat in limbo for two years or something like that. Yeah, I remember that. And so, yeah, it just it just feels good that, that the machine that Harvey Weinstein created, like, crumbled. And, and what's filling the void is these great movies instead of fucking Shakespeare in Love or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were trying to, to remember earlier. I mean, we both remembered Green Book was the winner eventually. Yeah. From last year. But... Who knows what won the year before that? Yeah. I don't Spotlight. remember. Since, no, oh, God it was, damn it. It was not. It was not. I can't remember since Moonlight, so. Yeah, Moonlight something. Green Book. I don't know. Where's Darren Dews when you need him? Hello, everyone. Darren. Do you believe the Oscars? Darren, I want to. I'm so excited because when you said that, like, oh, they're going to do something. Ex- like, let's do something exciting. Like, Parasite. I was like, ha, ha, ha. That'll never happen. It happened. Yeah. It totally happened. And I I was over at my friend Robert's house, and he gave us balance. And 
I only got five wrong, and I picked Parasite to win because I was like <gasps> channeling my my good energy into that. Uh huh. And I love it that like the best movie really won. Absolutely. He's so humble, and I loved all of his speeches. I loved when they stood up for Martin Scorsese. I just it was great. I mean, you picked every one of the acting winners. Uh huh. <laughs> Do you, you you make it yeah. sound like you knew? <laughs> <laughs> Laura Dern was great. I wish she was wearing a better dress. Whatever. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit guy, Taika. What's easy, yeah? He was wonderful. He's the first indigenous winner ever. <sighs> Welcome to 2020. I know. <laughs> what else did I like? Oh, I liked in the <laughs> when uh, Adina Menzel sang and they had all the different Elsas come out. That was fun. Okay, okay. I loved Maya Rudolph and Chris wig how can you hate they that they were outstanding but yeah overall i was like super happy uh little women one for costumes that's right that was one you wanted little women one for costumes uh, that was great production design for uh once upon a time in hollywood that was another one I you were know. gunning for wonderful wonderful <sighs> uh the score to joker one which i think was very deserved oh she's really cute okay okay we didn't talk about um, that on our Oscar episode, but that's good we, to know. Did we not? No, we did not. <laughs> that was By the, the, the way, one stone who's unturned. To to that Oscar special. <laughs> <laughs> well, who has the time? It's so long. I love it when you keep saying. <laughs> we need to edit this. Say, You'll cut this out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I gave that one pass, and I was like, "And it's going up. Whatever that is, we're done." <laughs> I think the producers were making a real effort to kind of face this, like, super white year, like, head on. Okay. Uh, which I thought was good on their part. I think Cynthia Revo should have won for Best Song. Oh. Instead of The Rocket Man? That was the boringest performance. <laughs> <laughs> old Elton John and those people that were behind this big giant star having to play behind that and not be seen I don't know mm. the whole thing was kind of sad to me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. cinematography I was happy about he gave a great speech has Roger Deakins uh, won before he won for Blade Runner the, the remake or mm. the, the Blade Runner 2049 so he won for that but before that he had like 14 nominations or something. Never won. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for him. Pretty amazing. Good for him. Yeah, I like that 1917 uh, won some technical awards because it felt, you know, there was a technical movie yeah. that things like and, that, and it, it should deserved, win. And it deserved that stuff. It deserved special effects. I think Bombshell obviously deserved makeup. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Charlie Theron looked like Megan Kelly. Yeah. Oh my God. And such subtle, tiny little things were done. So overall, um, were you uh, happy with the Oscars? Like, like the, the, yes. the whole. I did lots of screaming. <laughs> I was like, I just loved that Parasite won so much stuff. Isn't that crazy? Like, this is an historic Oscars this year. Totally. First time South Korea has ever been nominated for foreign <gasps> language films. Wow. Really? And then it wins it. It's the first time a foreign film has won Best Picture. And obviously it's the first time that a foreign film won Best Foreign Film and Best Picture. So and many things. a lot of, like, first. Big deal this yeah. year. Big deal. Yeah, it's great. We went from fucking... Green Book to Parasite. Oh, I know. Darren, can you help us out? We've been racking our brains all <laughs> night about this. What won Best Picture in 2018? Two years ago. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. It gets harder every year. It gets harder it's every year. It's horrible. <laughs> it, gets, it gets harder than um, The Shape of Water. 
Oh, there you go. You're right. Good you're for right. you. Yeah. Shape of water. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. The shape of water, then moonlight. Okay. Okay. Good yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Did you have fun watching it? <laughs> I didn't watch it. I was at work. Matt didn't watch it either. We were just curious about your thoughts on the winners. What? <laughs> you didn't watch it? I was working. Oh, my God. Oh, well. Are you mad? Are you disappointed in us? You should watch Kristen Wiig and Maya Rudolph. Okay. I'll just Google that. All right. I got to go back to work. Okay. We got to go back to pod. Thank you. You're the best. Love you. Both of you. Love you. Yeah. It's time to get back to the meta. Is there a drop now? Is no. There, oh. <laughs> what would a meta drop sound like? I, I had a lot of trouble trying to You're figure out. You're the creative <laughs> type of the two of us. I'm the pedantic encyclopedia <sighs> one. Boy, I really tried, too. The only thing I can think of is like having Mary Berry say, I, there's lots of laughs, 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 laughs. Yeah. Well, well, let's throw this one out to the listeners. What is the sound of meta? Yeah. Good luck. But uh, we... I'm continuing my my, uh, season-long theme of meta movies Mm -hmm. with a movie that I was nervous last week when you said, are you sure this is meta? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, (laughs) it is. Uh, But it is. Um, It's fun, too, I think. Uh, We're doing um, 1999's Being John Malkovich. Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones, John Cusack, Cameron Cameron Diaz, Diaz, and Catherine Keener. And, of course... John Malkovich. The titular John Malkovich. This movie's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So this is one of those movies, and like this is probably a boundary that only exists in my own head. But there's a handful of movies that I l- love a lot, but sort of kind of forget all about them mm. in my head. Like I also put like uh, uh, The Incredibles in this camp. Okay. Where it's like so much time goes between viewings that whenever I watch it, it kind of feels like I'm seeing it for the first time. Like, like I remembered like the seven and a half floor. Okay. And I remember the portal and I remember the scene where Malkovich goes into his own head. Right. How, who can forget? The Malkovich, Malkovich scene. <laughs> but that was really all I remembered from the movie. Mm-hmm. This is my third viewing. Okay. I guess. Okay. And so watching it over the weekend, it felt so fresh. Yeah. Like it felt like, watching it for the first time a little bit like i'd been told parts of it but never seen it like that was like the feeling i had going oh, nice. into it yeah yeah yeah. i think i've only seen it like three or four times as well and it still feels new it feels a little 90s at parts but i don't know i think the ideas are big but digestible you know and it gets absurd but yeah it's just i don't know all of it you just like you're on board you have to accept some conceits but they're so easily acceptable conceits somehow i don't know there's just like an, a level of absurdity that somehow you just you roll with it you're just always rolling with it yeah part of me thinks it's because the characters sort of acknowledge that this is weird but it's not so weird that it's like blowing their minds yeah. like the seven and a half floor like uh john cusack what's uh the character's name schwartz yeah, something. It's like he gets to the floor and he he acknowledges that it's strange, but he also doesn't ask immediately about it. Like mm-hmm. he kind of rolls with it and like waits for the right time before asking. Yeah, Craig Schwartz. Craig Schwartz. I mean, there's also like we're introduced to sort of like strange things from the beginning because when they're in their apartment, uh, Craig and Cameron Diaz's character, whose name is. Lottie Schwartz. Lottie. When we get to their apartment, there's like chimps and animals running around. And it's like, okay, that's strange. But she's some sort of vet or something like that. So you, you accept that weirdness. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of like weird, but like you can talk yourself into that weirdness. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that like by introducing that right away, it sort of allows for bigger absurdities later. I think we talked about it a little bit on this Next New York episode, but... 
Charlie Kaufman, for all like the surreal aspects of his writing, he kind of still follows like a traditional three act structure. Definitely. And like I noticed between this and Synecdoche that other than like the shading of things like the seven and a half floor or how the boss thinks he has a speech impediment, even though he doesn't Mm -hmm. and Mary Kay place just keeps (laughs) hearing things wrong. So glad you said her name. I was going to bring her up from Diane fame. Yes. Chest. I said, yes. You suggest what? And the shading and like the color of the dialogue is unique And that's like the real surreal part of it. But the structure of his movies are kind of similar. And he he does follow like a solid like three act structure. Because I noticed both in Synecdoche and being John Malkovich that the first act of the movie is fairly unremarkable. Like they're doing very mundane day to day things. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just at their jobs dealing with their spouses and the actual like interactions that that the people are having aren't that weird or wild like mm-hmm. yeah Mary Kay place of course like here's everything wrong but uh that's acceptable it's weird but you know but looking for a job like having light fights with your the uh, SOs like this is all very commonplace things like there's nothing about like the bones of the story yeah. that are really that odd. They're a little off kilter, but whatever. We recognize ourselves in them. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, in both times, the movies are fairly realistic until like the end of that first act. And that's when like the real strangeness is introduced in both movies. Sure. Because it's like we go through like 45 minutes before we're introduced to the portal into John Malkovich's head. Oh, okay. And... By that time, we already have, you know, John Cusack, Craig Schwartz, like, lovelorn for Maxine, uh, Catherine Keener's mm-hmm. character, who... She's brilliant she's in this. So good. <laughs> yeah. So she's good. Nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, good. I looked that up, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Looks very young in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize how young she looked in it, but <laughs> she's a little... I don't want to say she's a sociopath. That's not right, but she is definitely, like, chaotic evil. <laughs> <laughs> well... Love softens her as the movie goes on. Yeah, by the end, it's okay. I mean, yeah, she... Because <laughs> there's a couple times when I was watching her over the weekend where someone will, like, introduce, like, great big philosophical ideas and notions, and she just kind of quickly dismisses them. <laughs> uh, like, when Craig is, like, explaining the portal and uh-huh. the... the philosophical ramifications and and the being able to to actually like live and experience as another person in their skin do you see what a metaphysical can of worms this portal is i don't see how i could go on living my life the way i've lived it before and she just kind of makes the gesture to jump out the window yeah He's like, I don't give a fuck about any of the yeah, things like, you I just said. I had a board. Where is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's also like when they're selling like tickets to be John Malkovich. <laughs> That's right. And like the one guy is just talking about how he's always felt like that he's a skinny person trapped in a fat person's body. And I'm a fat man. I'm sad and I'm $200. Fat and she also, okay, I realized this this time and I've never thought about this before. She never goes in the portal that we see. You're right. She's not interested in that. She's like... I'm a fully realized person. Yeah, you're I don't right. Need to, I don't need to jump into John Malkovich's head. <laughs> oh. What good is that? <laughs> yeah, you're right. So I thought that was, I, 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 I've never thought about that before, but yeah, she's fine being on the outside of his head and making money off of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's, and that's a good sort of like character value of her, sure. I guess. it's It speaks to her character that she's not interested in living inside someone else. No, but she's definitely interested in fucking someone who's inside of him. Yeah, she like <laughs> it's it's not quite group sex, but it's almost there. It's like the the validation you get from group sex, but like just in one person. Yeah, she's like. Do you have any idea what it's like to have two people look at you with total lust and devotion through the same pair of eyes? Wow. No, I don't suppose you would. Watching this movie now in like a post like trans rights awareness oh yeah world i like i'd forgotten 
all about it, but Charlie Kaufman kind of deals with it pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Like, it, it almost seemed a little prescient that Cameron Diaz, she goes in and suddenly, like, being a man feels right to her. Yeah, it, like, all clicks. Yeah, and then she even says, like, I've been going over and over my experience last night, Craig. It was amazing. I've decided... That I'm a transsexual. And then Catherine Keener, even at one point, like when uh, she's like, "Let her go, Craig." Okay. I mean him. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was so good. Like watching a movie from 1999 that addresses like pronoun and but the Catherine Keener's here for. Her. She's like, yeah. "You just tell me what to what pronoun you want, and I'll, that's what I'll call you." Yeah. And then she just smiles back at her. Like, yeah. That was that was such a rewarding moment. Like it just. <laughs> Here's this movie that's 21 years old. Yeah. And that it was just, Charlie Kaufman was already ahead of, of the curve on that one. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was really rewarding. We don't get a resolution on that necessarily because she still stays a woman by the end of the movie. But uh, maybe she finds satisfaction just in being a lesbian. I was going to say, you know, there's hardware you can buy. Maybe that it was just a sexual thing that she she liked and didn't want to actually be that way in her day-to-day life that's but possible yeah, yeah yeah one thing that uh and this is just a theory i have nothing to back this up with but you know cameron diaz is one of the bombshells of our generation of course <laughs> something about mary she was a charlie's angel oh yeah like you know seen as as a very hot actress mm-hmm. and what do they do with her here <laughs> they make her the most like dowdy unattractive person you know, so, someone who would end up with a Craig Schwartz. Is that her real hair? <laughs> or was it a wig? But <laughs> it's got to be a can, wig. Who can forget that hair? <laughs> I remember it from like the TV spots when the movie Good was new. Lord. <laughs> so my that was my f- biggest takeaway from the first time I saw this. I was like, <laughs> that Cameron Diaz's hair is insane. <laughs> <laughs> my theory on it is like, why would you cast like an a-list actress like one known for her beauty and then make her look like this because it's not like they do a can't buy me love or love don't cost a thing or or where suddenly she's beautiful at some point like they keep her looking frizzy haired and and Mm -hmm. dowdy and i think it's because it plays into her not being comfortable in her own body Mm. that she doesn't know how to make herself look traditionally like girly or beautiful. So she just kind of lets it go a little bit. Like she's sure. not straightening her hair or doing anything to tamp that down. Yeah. She never wears like pretty clothes. She wears like a lot of vests. She actually wears kind of like unisex kind of stuff. Just like, yeah, that, like anybody could wear. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing that really gives a strong hint that she's a woman. Yeah. Nothing. No strong feminine vibes. Come um, from clothing. Then, you know, she goes into Malkovich and starts thinking, like, I am I should be a man. That's more what I should do. And I kind of just feel like the because she she's a beautiful woman, Cameron Diaz, in real life, and they make her look dowdy and strange. And I think it's because she doesn't feel comfortable in her own body that she doesn't know what to do with it in yeah. order to make it look the best. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, I mean, they never talk about it in the movie. It's just... I kind of feel like that's why they chose someone like Cameron Diaz. Sure, for yeah, that. it's a choice. It's a styling choice. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, Catherine Keener's the like sex bomb in this movie. Oh, she looks so good Which, too. Yeah, and she doesn't usually play those, but she looks great. She's definitely got an allure. Do you know? Have you ever like worked with somebody or met somebody who's like absolutely a capital B B? <laughs> yeah. Um, and but all you can think of is like, God, I want her approval. <laughs> <laughs> That's Catherine Keener. That's her in this movie where it's like, oh, you just wanted to like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what, that's partially like Craig's attraction to her probably. But yeah, she's just, she just gives off those vibes. The, the alpha dom female that if you get her approval, that gives you worth. Yeah, it's like a validation. Someone, someone who has their shit together this much if they validate me yeah that's like a sliver of self-worth that i have on myself now uh, yeah and i get it she owns that performance too it's a, lot, it's a lot of fun yeah this might be a good like jumping off point to get into the meta elements of this because she loves having sex or like is into lottie but only when she's in malkovich mm-hmm. so there's les <laughs> 
the first time somebody goes into John Malkovich, it's Craig. And we see it's a POV shot of John Malkovich, like reading the paper and sipping his eating coffee, toast. Yeah, eating toast and stuff like that and getting into a cab and blah, blah, blah. But it's like just that scene alone is like we're getting um, John Malkovich's point of view, which is then actually Craig's point of view at that point. But then we're seeing it, the audience, so that's our point of view. So we've got, like, three layers going on at that point. Yeah, because John Malkovich is playing himself in the movie. Right. And the experience that we're seeing is what could be a slice of life from his real life. Right. Him having breakfast, getting ready to go outside, cab driver... Recognizes him as an actor, but thinks he's some other actor. Right. Um, like, you played that jewel thief. Mm, I no. never played a jewel thief. <laughs> and it kind of goes back and forth. Like, at some points, he's described as, like, one of the great actors of our time. And then, you know, at other points, he's seen as that overrated hack. Right. And- <laughs> Yeah, and I love that he was game enough to take this role. Well, okay, so this is one thing that I was thinking about. It's like... What if he had turned it down? Would they have just chosen some other actor to be for the, the title of the movie? I did a little research into this, and I think that Charlie Kaufman always had being John Malkovich, or wrote it as John Malkovich in mind, mainly because it's the funniest name to say in the point when Malkovich goes into <laughs> Malkovich's sure. chair. Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. It's like, who else are you going to do? Like Alan Alda? Alda, 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 Alda. That's not not as good as... same ring, yeah. And John Malkovich, he's not unattractive, but he's kind of a funny looking guy. Sure, yeah. Some of those younger pictures of him, though, I was like, well... (laughs) But it's like, you know, him in, in the scene where he goes into his own head and the Malkovich, Malkovich scene... He's both like the ugliest woman and the funniest woman. Just like him is like the the lounge singer. <laughs> it's something about the like the baldness too. Like, yeah, it's I don't just. Know. At the same time, like if you're a, a star of John Malkovich's caliber and someone writes a movie where the title is your name. Like, you don't get bigger top billing than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, what a gamble. Like, But it also, like, John Malkovich is, like, the perfect... Because he's not, like, the biggest star in the world. Right. So it's, Especially at that point in his career. It's, like, it's not like you can make a movie called, like, Being Brad Pitt and then, like, just have Brad Pitt be on board with it, you know? Yeah. It's like John Malkovich is like right in that like creamy center of like he's got critical acclaim. He's been in blockbusters, but he also does plays and artistic movies and things like that. Like he just he's like the perfect exact middle of of star power that you want. Yeah. And just yeah. Thank God he was game. Like, yeah. It's it's actually it's got to be a fun role for him because he not only gets to play himself just being normal John Malkovich, but he also gets to play when Craig takes him over. How did you know it was me? That's got to be fun. And then the dance. I mean, fuck that fucking dance. I I mean, talk about meta because it's like Craig is a is puppeteering him. No, no, no. yeah, puppeteering yeah. John Malkovich. Uh. But it's actually John Malkovich doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. The first time I saw this, and pretty much every subsequent time I've seen it, I'm just like, that's actually John Malkovich doing this. Like, some of this stuff, I'm like, this looks pretty acrobatic. Like, maybe they had a body double for some of it, but most of it, it's got to be John Malkovich. It's, yeah, you can see it. And, like, I just love that he was up for doing all that. Yeah. Know? There's a couple scenes in the movie. That dance scene is one of them. Where, I mean, the movie's not a musical, but it does have kind of extended scenes for dance and music. Mm-hmm. It kind of made me wish that Spike Jones would direct a Fantasia oh. with, like, either stop motion or, or, or something like that. Sure. Because the, the puppet scene at the very beginning of the movie. The way it opens. Yeah. We don't get any credit sequence. We get being John Malkovich and you're in the movie. Yeah. And it's this puppet. It's this marionette. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the marionette scene that we have right at the beginning is great. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And uh, then it's like when Craig's, like, 
puppeteering like out on the street and it's like the <laughs> the vicar or whatever is like humping the wall where the courtesan is on the other side or something like that. I'm like, you know, I kind of, and I mean, Spike Jones, of course, made music videos. Right, yeah. And Fantasia is just music videos for classical music. And I kind of just want Spike Jones to make his own Fantasia. I could get behind that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The music it is was... one of his strengths, his music videos. Yeah. So, Spike Jones, if you're listening. Fantasia. Free idea. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like all the puppet stuff is exciting too because like, in that first puppet sequence, like the he has the marionette like look up and like see that he is being pulled by strings. So uh like while we're watching this marionette show, we realize that the marionette realizes that it's being like pulled by strings. Mm. And so it's sort mm. of like um you know, later when Craig is puppeteering John Malkovich, like how much does John Malkovich know that he's being a puppet and how much is he just like stuck being the puppet? Does that make sense? Yeah. Does the movie ever make clear that when Craig takes over John Malkovich, does Malkovich know is like he there along for the ride? I, it I doesn't say. Yeah. We yeah. Don't know. I was going to say, I don't think yeah. the movie really, I think he knows a little bit, but it must be like a brownout or a blackout for him sure, a little bit. Yeah. When Craig finally leaves John Malkovich, he's at that like honky tonk or whatever. And you can see him like, he looks in the mirror and you can be like, oh, it's me again. Yeah. So we can assume that Malkovich was there the whole time, just maybe suppressed or like not allowed to voice his opinion as much like blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. um, and I, I love that like it balloons out later when like when Craig learns to control Malkovich and he's like, we can use Malkovich's fame so I can be a puppeteer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he does like the ballet or whatever where he's a puppet. He's, uh-huh. he's a marionette. So it's like it's a. Uh, Craig puppeteering Malkovich, who's puppeteering this puppet. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I slurp it all up. I love it. <laughs> Malkovich becoming a puppeteer is a portion that I completely forgot. <laughs> and so, like, when it starts happening, I'm like, what? The- <laughs> Are you for real? I love that they, it, like, the documentary that he's watching, like, says that, oh, he had to start from the bottom yeah. from scratch i'm like but it's also only eight months I know, later I was like, that was like a year ago right <laughs> well i mean he, it must not have taken him very long to just shoot to the top of the puppeting <laughs> world because maxine Catherine keener's character who's you know the woman behind the man the mastermind <laughs> entrepreneur like she's at award shows and events still looking slender af yeah but she's also already pregnant at this point so it's like yeah he went from like having to start at the bottom to like being a huge star in a, probably just a couple weeks who's the, okay so who's his publicist uh what's that actor's name carlos jacket oh yeah, yeah. He must have been an amazing publicist for John Malkovich because he's like, when they go in to be like, he's like, I want to get right to the point. From now on, I'm no longer an actor. I'm a puppeteer. Sure. Sure. No problem. Poof, you're a puppeteer. Uh, just let me make a couple calls. So he must have really like worked overtime to make him into a uh, famous puppeteer. I mean, just like the all the, the, the montage, the little documentary that he's watching as he's like, teaching puppeteering classes yeah. he's like no never lie to your audience did you recognize david fincher as one of the talking heads on that no <laughs> yeah. malkovich shows us a reflection of ourselves our frailties and our you know desperate humanity i loved all the cameos in that too like why not writer and yeah hansen yeah <laughs> And uh, Brad I mean, they Pitt just, even they just showed clips from some generic award show, but but Brad Pitt is definitely like in the movie because like Catherine Keener is doing her thing where she's like and the crowds have been absolutely sensational, and um, I just like to thank God for giving us this opportunity to share our creative vision. She walks away and then it pans over and Brad Pitt's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then Charlie Sheen's actually there. That's right, playing Charlie yeah. Sheen pre-winning uh, phase, but... That's right. That was just a tangent that I'd completely forgotten happens in this movie, mm-hmm. and it just, it, was, it just felt so good. I was like, yes! <laughs> this is what I bought the ticket for. I love, yeah, I love that Spike Jones took the time to make both that little, like, featurette 
and then also the orientation to the seventh and a half oh yeah video too it's like from the 70s which you could easily cut that but is yeah. so nice to have it in there it's so fun it's on, they like play it on one of those like wheeled in tvs that's on yep. a cart and stuff and it's like oh it's like <laughs> i remember this stuff <laughs> and the, the the horrible actors that they get <laughs> i'm not asking for alms captain but rather the ear of a kind man with a noble heart well speak then if you must captain merton I'm afraid that the world was not built with me in mind. Doorknobs are too high, chairs are unwieldy, and high ceiling rooms mock my stature. Why cannot there be a place for me to work and safe and comfortable? Anyone who grew up like in our age bracket has seen like things like that. Oh, so, sure. Yeah, it resonated for me. I love how like the joke about the seventh and a half floor still like sticks around where it's like low overhead. We yep. pass the savings on to you. Yeah, it's just, just like, whatever business is, is in that spot. Like what does Lester Core even do? <laughs> yeah, the, their specialty is filing. But I'm like, do they just send people to offices to do filing? Like, I, I, they, they, I don't know. Some... I was like, that business model was very strange to me. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I did laugh out loud a lot of times, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I love when John Cusack first comes in. Oh, come in, uh, Mr. Juarez. Actually, my name is Craig Schwartz, Dr. Lester. Security! Yeah, that was <laughs> real good. It's like, no, 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 no. It was just a mistake, but that was... Oh, yeah. Nice choice. Um, I want to... Okay, so I wanted to say, I want to bring this up. Um, back onto, like, the absurdity tip. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated this time, like... The moment when uh, Cameron Diaz, like uh, Lottie, discovers the whole going into the portal junk where it's like, and he has to do it before midnight, schma, where it's like, whatever, I'm not going to think too much about all the logic of that. But like, right at, like, it's an absurd thing. Like, this is act three, like, craziness. Like, well, yeah, and it's like the book that they're reading is like, it, like it's the same art that you'd see like depicting phrenology or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you just look at those medical pictures. And you're like, Oh, this is quackery. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I appreciate how like that absurdity from that scene, the next scene is the dance sequence where you're like, I don't have time to think about how stupid the logic of all of this is. Cause now I'm watching John Malkovich dance. Yeah. Like it's like, it's just such smart screenwriting wrapped in a sheet or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, I I don't even have time to consider what's going on. It's like, you just have to accept this is what's happening. And then we're on to the next thing. And because the next thing is so much bigger and crazier, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just good writing and good filmmaking to me. Yeah, and I mean, I was saying this earlier about Charlie Kaufman's script, but that he really kind of follows classic screenwriting, like, structure and and rules regarding that. It's just he colors it in with these, like, funny surrealist things, and it makes us... It gives the feeling like, oh, this is such a strange, wild movie, but the actual structure of it really isn't, which I feel we may need to retire a phrase... (gasps) As we usher in a new one. Okay. I think that we need to retire the phrase Almodovar's gazpacho. Okay. And in its place, it's going to be Kaufman's chimpanzee. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because the way that they set up this chimpanzee with childhood trauma. (laughs) So good. It's so good. Because once again, this is a part that I'd completely forgotten about. They mention the childhood trauma several times and that he's got acid bellies, having mm-hmm. ulcers or, or heartburn or something. He has and, psychotherapy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's funny. It, it feels absurd and, and it plays into the surrealism. But it pays off. <laughs> Somehow. <yeah. laughs> like, like there's a pivotal point in the movie where the chimpanzee's childhood trauma comes back yeah. and it's funny but it's also rewarding and it was like this is something that was set up in act one that pays off in act three and it's like if you show a chimpanzee with childhood trauma in the first act you have to use that chimpanzee <laughs> in the third act oh you might hate me for this Matt, but i'm going to tie that into the meta elements of this movie because i was thinking about it this time because i was like why is he filming this in pov because we're, we're getting the chimps POV at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we also get 
Malkovich's POV. And so I'm like, what does POV have to do with anything? And then I'm like, well, what is POV, but just someone's view one step removed by the camera? So it's like another layer. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. You know what I mean? Like we're watching what somebody else is watching. Yeah. So uh, I was like, oh, that's smart to bring that you know, in a, into a movie where it's like you're living through somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like in this case, you're living through the chimp. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I don't know. It feels very, it felt meta suddenly. <laughs> but just, yeah, the, the chimp and the, the, then we see the trauma that he lived through that's giving him these ulcers. And I just, I, I just totally forgotten about it. And I was tickled so much while watching. It. I was like this stupid little line from the first act of this movie is paying off in a huge way. What is the name of the chimp? Do we remember? I don't remember the name of the chimp, no. I'll put a drop in. Oh, Elijah. You really are magnificent. So we haven't even talked about the, like... Well, we did a little bit. We brushed on it. Like, the lesbian, trans elements to it. Like, Catherine Keener, like, eventually love wins out for her. But there is, like, a part of her that's, like, more... Well, I just think it's interesting that her character is definitely like smitten with Lottie, but only when she's in Malkovich at first. But then, like once she, when uh, Craig deceives her and has sex with her when she thinks she's having sex with Lottie as Malkovich, then she's still turned on by the idea. She's just like, "Oh, you can kind of control him." So then, like it's more like she's into the control aspect of it more than anything else. And so that's what makes that scene when when Lottie's talking to her and she's like. I- it's confusing you know this is a very confusing situation she humanizes that moment that does not deserve any humanizing you know like we're in such a bizarre place at that time and to have her just her delivery of like it's complicated Mm -hmm. it takes everything and just puts it all in a nice little up to that point, like it just summarizes everything, and it's like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, and she's just like, but as true to her character, she's just got to go with her gut and like knows what she wants. She's like, I'm sorry, right now I need to try and abuse this power that I have. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to jump all the way to the end, but you know, spoiler alert: the uh, one of the plot points is that there's this cabal of people who are going to live forever by jumping from host to host <laughs> and the next host is jo- just happens to be John Malkovich and yeah. never mind there's a dance sequence now <laughs> <laughs> but one of the rules is like if you're in there at the wrong period of time then you get transferred to the uh next the spawn of the spawn yeah. and you're trapped in there unable to, to control this person just as a, a, a observer, you know, you'd be pushed into their for this person's whole life. So far. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of just introduced as like a throwaway line almost, but it turns out to be very pivotal for Craig. Mm-hmm. And it's odd because while I was watching it, and it gets to the end, and we find out that Craig is trapped, and I hadn't really thought of Craig as a villain at this point. But he is the one who's ultimately punished. Like, sure. I mean, not wrongfully so. Like, if we're looking at the movie as like having a happy or sad ending, like, what makes it so that Catherine Keener, who's kind of been bad a little bit throughout the movie, sure, she gets a happy ending and Lottie gets a happy ending, and uh, but Craig is trapped. And to me, I was sort of thinking that the characters that grow and mature out of it are the ones that get the happy ending. Sure. And the one who was using this newfound avenue for personal gain, he's the one who's punished. That makes a lot of sense. But when you're watching the movie, do you view Craig as the villain? No, but I also don't view, I don't necessarily view his fate at that point as, total punishment 
Well, maybe for him it is because I don't know, like, he has as, zero agency. Well, yeah, at that and point. as a puppeteer, like you, you get you like his thing is all about control and things. So like maybe for him it is like a total punishment. But like he does in a way still get to be with both Lottie and my Maxine. Maxine. Yeah, but it's also that like getting to be with Maxine is also the punishment. Because all he gets to really see is Maxine be with someone else. Mm-hmm. And he, he obviously was... is not deriving any joy from that. Sure. But yeah. it, it was, it, it's just weird because it, I didn't view Craig as the villain in the movie until it gets to that point. And I'm like, oh, shit, he's fucked yeah. for the rest of, of this person's life. I guess I, yeah, I guess I didn't answer your question. I don't, I don't necessarily see him as a villain. But I also don't... Feel like the ending's a sad ending. It's not necessarily a sad ending, and this is I, I chalk it up to Charlie Kaufman's great writing is that the villain is punished and the heroes are rewarded. Everything falls into almost like a classic Hollywood place. It was just I didn't realize that Craig was the villain until we get there, and I'm like, does he deserve to be punished? And I'm like, he kind of does. Sure. Like he goes into he's the one who discovers the Malkovich portal. Right. And he's the one that tries to use it for personal gain. Like, at first, it's to sleep with, with Maxine. And then once he realizes that he can, like, hold on to Malkovich, he does it to further his, his career. Mm-hmm. Maxine uses it for personal gain, too, but not but, through the portal. And not through the portal, but also Maxine grows. Like, she is going to use it for financial gain at first, but then once she's with Malkovich, you know, the Craig-Malkovich Mal- combo... She realizes how much she misses Lottie. Right. And that changes her. And once she gets Lottie back, she doesn't go back for the financial gain of, of the Malkovich portal. And Lottie, of course, is sort of the innocent in all this. Like, she doesn't have a... She gets addicted to the experience of being in Malkovich, but it's because she's had an awakening in her, and this is the only way for her to express it. She grows. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know, it snuck up on me. Like, I didn't realize the moral standings of the characters until the end when they get their just desserts or their rewards or their punishments that suddenly it snapped in me. I was like, oh, Craig's the villain in this story. Like, the main character is the villain. And he kind of, as the movie goes on, he kind of gets pushed aside. I mean, part of it is that he's in Malkovich for a good portion of, like, the third act. But that is interesting because I've never thought about who I like would relate to mm-hmm. while watching this movie. It's just sort of like every, I don't know. I, I've never thought about who, who I should be cheering for until like you're mentioning it now. Yeah. It's cause it's not, it doesn't really feel like one of those movies that you're supposed to cheer for someone, but I'm always looking for, does the hero get what they want and, or if they don't, or, or, you know, the, the subtleties therein. And just this time, you know, gets to the end and, and Craig's trapped in there. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that sucks. Yeah, it's but well. And like, that's the thing I think is that like uh, you can't realize yourself through someone else. Mm. I think that like mm. Catherine Keener's or Maxine realizes that it was like, I'm not happy glomming on to this other person. And like. Craig still feels like the only way I can get what I want is by getting into Malkovich. Mm-hmm. And also part of it is like maybe that Craig's just pleasure in life is controlling other people. Right. Cause I mean, it's not like he's a super great husband. No. Cause he kind of cheats on Lottie. <laughs> he sure does. I yeah. mean, yeah. Yeah. And she does a little bit on him. It twists pretty quick. Um, but the twist in that is that like, the person he's trying to cheat on his wife with wants to be with his wife. Like that's fun. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of refreshing to see a movie and you know, part of me is like, Oh, the movie's not that old. I'm like, well, it's 21 years old at this point. Yeah. It feels singular still. It does. Like I, I, it also feels super forward thinking in the sort of, uh, non-binary like trans views in the movie like it just it feels so ahead of its time even now like I feel like if someone were to make it it'd be this is a, a movie on the cutting edge of trans rights as you know would yeah. be what BuzzFeed called it <laughs> I remember the first time I saw this movie and getting 
the biggest thrill when John Malkovich goes to the place mm-hmm. and he cuts the line and he's like, I want to get in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? I don't know. What's going to fucking happen? Like, I couldn't even imagine oh, yeah. what was going to happen. And then it does. Yeah. And you're like, so satisfying. It's so rewarding. <laughs> like, even though it has no bearing on anything, it's not even the climax of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a fun, stupid little thing in the middle of, of act two. Yeah. But it's like, I didn't even think that that was a possibility going into it already knowing that like, oh, it's a portal into John Malkovich's head. I never thought that he would try to seek out the portal and try to go into it himself and that they would show it. Yeah. And they do. And it's so fun. It's so satisfying. It's great. And then, I mean, the movie just gets more absurd from there, but it's like, it's just a wild ride. And you, there's a lot of conceits. You have to like concede a lot of things well into it, but it's it's also like... The absurdity, especially in like the earlier parts, just serves to make the absurdity of a portal into somebody's head feel like a logical step yeah. at that point. Like a seven and a half floor with, you know, like, you know, five foot ceilings does it's not that like building that for a small person in into a building uh, makes it feel like it's not that huge of a leap to also have a portal into somebody's head. Like it's just smart use of absurdity. Yeah. Which I appreciate. And this is also, I think a movie for film geeks a little bit. Like this is the type of thing that, you know, Charlie Kaufman's an Academy Award winning or not winning. Well, maybe winning. I didn't look it up. Uh, no, he won, but for best original screenplay for eternal sunshine. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Great screenplay. He's just like sort of, I, I he, he's like the poster boy for like, movie geek screenwriters a little bit because his movies are just so uniquely him like they come out of left field they're just totally identifiable as him and uh just keeping with the meta thing like uh rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead we said that like oh that's a play it was a play originally probably should have stayed a play like the movie's fun but like it's better as a play probably Mm -hmm. this can you you can't make it a play ever you can't make it a play it would never happen So, like, this is a movie made to be... It's a meta movie made to be a meta movie. It's super satisfying, and it feels unnecessary to say... Or I would hope that it felt unnecessary to say this, but Charlie Kaufman also writes really well for women. Like, Hmm. I think about, you know, this and Synecdoche, New York, that had, like, a... I mean, there was no big female star, but there was a lot of strong female roles in it. Not just Catherine Keener, but Diane Weist, Samantha Morton... Michelle Williams. And like this one too. So it's like Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener. Those are like good roles for women. Mary Kay Place. Mary Kay Place. I'm sorry. I have no time for piddling suggestions from mumbling job applicants. Besides Dr. Lester, we'll see you now. Well, but then, you know, you brought up Eternal Sunshine. I always felt that the biggest moral arc in Eternal Sunshine was uh, Kirsten Dunst's character. Sure. Because she's the one that actually like has the realizations of the problems of this process and like has rectifies been, them and it was victim to it as well. Yeah. And so I always felt like she was the one with like the biggest moral arc in eternal sunshine. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't know. Charlie Kaufman writes well for women too. Like he seems to get that they get fucked around a little bit. And in order to like not get fucked around, you get labeled a bitch, you know, yeah. that's the way that like the Catherine Keener character is in oh, here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I love her though. I want her to I want her to be my friend. <laughs> Real bad. And I don't I don't know if we've given enough props to Spike Jones as a director in this too, but like this I feel like this is the type of movie that could have fallen apart in lesser hands. Okay, yeah. I I never I didn't think about it, but you're probably right. Yeah. It it it's just it's so it could turn into such a big sprawling mess mm-hmm. that if someone didn't have like a clear eye and couldn't like put it into like bite-sized chunks, I think it would be overwhelming. Yeah, it's a tight movie, real yeah. tight. And uh, okay, yeah, I'll give some, I'll give some credit to Spike there. Just some. I'll give a lot of credit to Spike. Okay, I really love this movie, and like I'm realizing that on this watch now. I haven't seen it in several years, but like watching it this time, I was like, this is a great movie. Yeah, I mean, I really, my- really. Love it. My first watch, you know, I probably rented it from the Blockbuster that I lived near, uh, you know, whenever it hit home video. And then I think the last time that I watched it was probably 2008 or 9. Oh, wow. Okay. So it, it had been a good long while, but I it, there, it's one of those movies that, like, there was something about it that stuck with me. 
enough that I when like Criterion was having like a fifty percent off sale, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get Bean John Malkovich because like I owned it on Blu-ray, even though I haven't watched it in eleven years or twelve years or something. Wow, well, I'm glad I, I made you watch it then. Yeah, and so like when you threw this out last week, I was like, great, a movie that I own and I feel that I haven't watched in <laughs> a long, long time. Perfect. Yeah, no, and super satisfying, just great, great little nugget of a movie. We've been talking for two hours about this? That can't be accurate. Doesn't it say one hour and two minutes? It does. <laughs> okay. Ryan, right, Ryan okay. is new to clocks. <laughs> I mean, that's not even a clock. That's like a stopwatch. That's a timer. Yeah. New to numbers. <laughs> I, I, my, my game is numbers, not Ryan's. <laughs> All right. Coming up on episode 576. <laughs> what have we got, Matt? So next week, I'm hopping on your bandwagon a little bit i'm excited uh, i love it you know There's i plenty of room on this train i used to to swing around big theme energy on this podcast <laughs> and somehow you uh you hijacked it and you're you're the dom here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you uncomfortable uh, are you into it no i'm here for it a little bit okay. i'm here for it cool, it's, cool, cool. it's nice to just lose myself a little bit <laughs> get out okay. of my head sure or you could just view this as me punishing you for taking the reins of this podcast. Next week, we're going to be doing the Lars von Trier meta masterpiece, The House That Jack Built. Ryan is instantly unhappy with me. I shouldn't be surprised. You mentioned this a long time ago that it was going to be an episode. Oh, it's such a good movie. I'm just... I don't know if I'll have enough to talk about with it, though, honestly. I'm a little worried that there's not enough meat on those bones. It's okay. I actually, I like, I like Von Trier. I think that, well, can anybody actually like Von Trier? I find his movies interesting. Challenging. Stimulating. Lots to chew on. Yeah. I have not seen this movie yet, so it'll be new. Yeah, I'll be rewatching it. I, I hope it's as medium movie as I remember it. I'd hate to just be like, well, he kills some people and that's <laughs> about it. Cool, cool, cool. I've, I mean, I wanted to watch this. Ever since you talked it up to me, I'm like, okay, well, I'll get to it someday. So now you're forcing me. So what else can I do? Yeah. Would you care to plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Yes, please. Go to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash X-rated movies. Yep, yep, yep. That EX, you... don't give it to the other X-rated. The, the oh, regular yeah, X-rated. not them. They're... Those are our nemeses. Yeah, follow us on Twitter, at RatedXMovies. Shoot us an email, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, at RatedXMovies. Check out our lovely, beautiful Squarespace website, xratedmovies.com. I mean, Squarespace, if you just want to give us the website for free every year, that'd be enough for me, at least. We would talk you up so much. Yeah, that'd be the in-kind payment I need. Anyway, if you want to pay for anything, Patreon. Let's just plug that one one more time. Patreon. Give us money. We work hard for our money. Let's put it this way. You're not even giving the money to me because I'm the villain of this podcast. <laughs> You're giving it to Ryan, who's the hardworking laborer of the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am the poor family in Parasite, and Matt is the big house owner <laughs> who's oblivious to my plight. I'd like to think that I'm the family and that you're the the husband in the basement. Oh, wow. Okay. You're, you're a combo of the husband and wife in the basement because she still does a bunch of work and, and things like that. Right, right, right. Um, and I'm just here mooching off the labor of other people. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and, of course, my glorious mansion here. <laughs> Anyway, till next time when we do the house that Jack built. Keep reaching for that rainbow. Bye. Bye.